0: You're listening to The Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. Good Um, Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for coming to our Sunday School class this morning. This morning we are continuing our discussion on the Holy Spirit and I hope that we understand today, as we come to this uh, study and this truth, that we're not simply studying doctrine so that we can tuck it up there in our minds as though the knowledge of its, in and of itself is of any value. right? So when we study the Holy Spirit, I mean, when we study any of these doctrines, we recognize that just knowledge is not by itself helpful. Um, we're studying this for a, a a reason, because there are truths here that we need for our lives, that we need to put in, in place. Um, knowledge without application is vain. It's empty. And I would say knowledge without application is actually vice. It, it's evil. When we know these truths and we fail to apply them, we know this great news about God and about the Holy Spirit and about what the Holy Spirit is attempting to do in the life of the believer, and we don't make an effort to pursue the Holy Spirit and to be in relationship with God and to love Him, then the fact that we have that knowledge is is actually creating an opportunity for us to sin. And so we need to know these things, yes, but we need to put them into application. And so we come to this doctrine recognizing that it is incredibly applicable to our lives, that we desperately need, that our church desperately needs, that I personally desperately need a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit's work in my life and the work of life of believers within our church, as a church as a whole, um, just what God is accomplishing in this world. And that the fact that he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish, not through our might and our power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through individuals and the church. So ultimately, this is not about us. Ultimately, this is God's way of building his kingdom and I wonder if part of the reason that we don't see God work in our midst more than He does is connected with our understanding of this vital topic. I wonder if it's the lack of us pursuing the relationship with God and pursuing um, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of our church that we don't see more. I'm not saying we don't. Well, we certainly we see God working. we see lives being changed. This is a great place to be at because it, it is a lively Church where God is uh, working, right? We see that. But I wonder if part of the reason we don't see more of it is because we're not pursuing the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So, the task ahead of us is to seek truth from the Bible about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, and specifically how that work relates to spiritual gifts. Um, as we've stated before on more than one occasion... Um, Spiritual gifts are a very divisive topic within the church, very controversial topic within the church. It may encourage us a little bit to know that it, it seems like the gifts of the Spirit were divisive in the early church as well. That even here in the book of Corinth, we find an example of the very early church struggling to understand the purpose of and the use of, the correct use of, spiritual gifts. And so we are not alone. The the church today is not alone in our struggle. Um, However, just because there's a struggle doesn't mean we we stop fighting. It doesn't mean we we quit the battle and move somewhere else where there's just more unity. It means that we work through it, and we try and get into the Word and figure out what the Word teaches about the Spirit, the Spirit's work, spiritual gifts. We need to know these things um, so that we can properly use and apply um, the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. So the manifestation of gifts were viewed in the early church, especially here in the church of Corinth, as barometers of spirituality. Right? They were used as, you look at somebody's life, and if they seem to have a lot of spiritual gifts, they must be incredibly spiritual people. This is what they were doing, and that's why they were desiring all of these sign gifts, all these miraculous gifts where they would go out and everybody could look at them and see what they were doing because if, if they had that in their lives, man, that person must be just tight with God. But that's not the right way of looking at it. The truth is there are people with very overt spiritual gifts and they're not very spiritual. And there's others who you don't, you don't immediately walk up to them and say, yeah, that person, they, they just can preach like no one else, you know? But they're incredibly spiritual. They have a great relationship with God. And so we must not use the spiritual gifts as a barometer of spirituality. Um, today we'll be back in First Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading a passage of scripture that make many non-charismatic Christians uncomfortable. And probably the bulk of us in this room would be considered non-charismatic Christians. And so as we read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12... There are verses here that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable because we're just not exactly quite sure what to do with them. But it is also a passage that many charismatic use as the primary and decisive text for determining what spiritual gifts are and, and which ones should be used. And, and again, this is problematic if all we ever do is go to one text and say, no, this is it. As if that's the only thing the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts, as if it's the only thing we can learn about spiritual gifts. What we all need to do is um, study this text, understanding that it is infallible, that is inerrant, that it is the perfect Word of God, and study it alongside and in the context of the entire Bible that's infallible and perfect, and recognize that what's being taught here is in unity with what's taught elsewhere in Scripture, and we need to understand how the the whole thing fits together so that we can do this properly. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that a God who is perfect and righteous and holy and so unlike us has chosen to send his Spirit to live in our hearts. And God, we know that it's only because um, we've been made righteous by Christ that the Spirit, Spirit can come near us. And, and Lord, we thank you that you've given us um, your righteousness. We thank you that you've um, empowered us and gifted us and allowed us to do your work here on earth through the Spirit. Lord, help us to recognize that um, the work of God cannot be done apart from the Spirit of God. And Lord, that we need your Spirit's work in our church, in our own lives, um, we desperately need it. And so, God, I pray that we would um, just hear what Your Word says today, and throughout this week, and this month, and this year, um, seek to be in greater uh, fellowship with Your Spirit and um, to walk in the Spirit as we're commanded to. Um, and Lord, I pray that we would see You work um, and know that the work that You're doing here is nothing to do with us and our own power and our own um, goodness, but it's all your spirit. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked last week at verses 1 to 7. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul finally gets around to answering a question about spiritual gifts that the Corinthian church had of him. Apparently, they were obsessed with spiritual gifts. And I think that idea... Um, that problem is still prevalent in a lot of churches today. The obsession with just the manifestation of spiritual gifts. And so that's where the Corinthian church was at. Paul had a lot more to say to them about their problems um, before he got to finally answering this question, but finally in chapter 12, he does. Their obsession was unhealthy, but their acknowledgement and desire to have and use spiritual gifts was not. And so we need to recognize that though Paul does much to correct their understanding of spiritual gifts, he, he never acts like it's a problem that, that they use spiritual gifts, or that they want to use spiritual gifts, or that they seek spiritual gifts. Those things aren't problematic. Those are good and healthy things for a church. There are just other things that need to be there as well. We don't have a desire for unity when you're not using spiritual gifts for the right purpose. When you don't have love between brothers and sisters in Christ, then you have bigger problems. And, 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 uh, atmosphere like that is not a good atmosphere for spiritual gifts to, co- to function. So Paul needed to change the, the whole culture of the church before spiritual gifts were really going to be helpful for them. However, once that culture has changed, once they were, um, united for the cause of Christ and once where they were loving one another as they were supposed to, then using spiritual gifts is a good thing. It's a thing that they should pursue. So, Paul says in the first seven verses, I'll just kind of summarize this, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to have clear truth about spiritual gifts. You should know that ignorance comes easy to you. You should recognize that because of your past, because you were Gentiles, because you were idol worshipers, um, because you were part of mystical religions, that you are going to be easily swayed toward this mystical type of experience. Where you're you're thinking that being spiritual means getting into some kind of trance or having some type of vision or or something weird and and mystical is going to be happening to you and in you to demonstrate that you really have truth and religion and, and but that's your old life that's who you used to be so just recognize that you will be drawn toward that and that you'll be easily deceived that's in your bones. So it's hard to get out. But don't assume that Christianity is just like the paganism that you came from. He goes on and he says, to judge the work of the Spirit by the message of the one who possesses the Spirit. So if, you, if your message is one of Christ and Him crucified and Him risen again and Lord and King of all, that's a good evidence that that person has the Spirit and is, is in the Spirit. If the message is anything other than that, if the message or, or if the, the words, if, if the activity, if the behavior, if what the person is doing is drawing attention to themselves in any way, if it's all about them, that's pretty good indication that they don't have the Spirit. And here, he doesn't say, but unless, of course, they've just raised somebody from the dead. Unless, of course, they've just given sight to a blind person. Like He doesn't qualify that. He says the message is the key. Because even somebody who, who gives sight to a blind person, if they don't preach Christ as Lord, they don't, they're not working through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the message is the key. He says there's things you need to know. You need to know that there is one Spirit, one Lord, and one God working all in all. So there's this one Godhead who has one purpose. However, there are differing gifts, different administrations, different operations of those gifts. So there's one goal, one purpose, but there's a different plan, a different way of getting that goal fulfilled. And we all have a part in that. Gifts are given to profit the whole church. And ultimately, the gifts are given for the glory of Christ. Here in verse 8, Paul begins listing the spiritual gifts. He says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, Diverse kinds of knowledge, to another the interpretation of tongues. Sorry, diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye where were the hearing if the whole were the hearing where were the smelling but now has god set the members every one of them in the body as it has pleased him and if they were all one member where were the body but now all they many members yet but one body and the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you nay "...much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body... That the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some of the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I will show unto you a more excellent way. Here Paul gives a, a lengthy description of what it is to be a part of the church what the church is supposed to be. And this analogy of the body works on so many levels. It's such a, an incredible gift to us that, that Paul has helped us understand how the church is supposed to work as a body. Because when we look at a body, we look at the members, we see the importance of, of every part. We see how every part is connected to the other parts. We see how all the parts work together to function in a way that can accomplish things that, that the parts by themselves could not. In fact, he even makes a point that if, if all you had was one part you wouldn't have a body at all, right? If you had a finger, the finger can do absolutely nothing by itself. It's not a body. And so it's just an incredible gift that we have here. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at some of the truths that we get from this this chapter, this um, analogy, and see how they apply to the topic of spiritual gifts. Um, First of all, what I notice here is that the list of spiritual gifts is incomplete. The list here is incomplete. Most likely Paul is mentioning the gifts that the Corinthians are actively pursuing. These are the gifts that they're interested in. So if he's if he's trying to make a point right now, he's not planning to to bring up all of these Gifts that they're like, oh, I didn't know that exists, and oh, I, really? I, I mean, I've never heard of that, and I don't think anybody I know has the gift of mercy. I'm, I'm pretty sure that nobody has that. I've never seen that in, in action. So he's not bringing up those gifts because he, that's not his point in all of this, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, his, his point right now is just to say, okay, yeah, these are the gifts that you guys are interested in. So let's talk about these gifts, okay? And so he, he brings up, um, all of the gifts. Here, But when we look at Romans chapter 12, we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we look at other places in Scripture, we find other lists of spiritual gifts. Other other, um, things that God gives to the church. So when I think of spiritual gifts, I I really don't think that God at any place in Scripture gives us like a, a complete list of the gifts that the Spirit will give to the people of God. Okay? I don't think that we're meant to study it like that because I think sometimes what happens is we get so obsessed with, okay, I want to know the 20 gifts so that I can take a test and check mark which like, five I have or which three I have and so that this is the, the complete and finished list. That's not the idea, right? The idea is not to be, oh, I have these gifts and this person has these gifts and let's compare to each other. The whole idea is here, here are the gifts. Here are, are some of the gifts that the Corinthian church is um, interested in. So let's talk about how these gifts are supposed to work together as one body. Okay, Because his point is a lot bigger than that. So um, the second thing I noticed when I look at 1 Corinthians 12 is that the gifts mentioned here include many overtly miraculous gifts, or, or sometimes called sign gifts. When we look at this list, we see word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. And then we find later on, he says he's given the church apostles, prophets, thoroughly teachers, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Okay, So all of these things, they, they seem to be more overtly um, miraculous. Now you say, well, some of the things might not seem that way. And I, I, I get that. There are some things like wisdom and knowledge and faith um, that might not be overtly miraculous. But when we're talking here about spiritual gifts, we're not speaking about people's talents. And we're not speaking about what what is normal for all Christians. right? So when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're talking about that God gifts different people differently. So obviously when it's talking about faith, it's not saying faith in general. Like if, if any person has any kind of faith, then that is some special gift of the Spirit, just like healing is a special gift of the Spirit. Right? So, so the idea, the, the gift, this special miraculous gift of faith is something different than the normal faith practiced by all believers. So I would, I would say as we read this list and we think about what he's talking about, that this is not just a talent, this is just not just what's normal for Christians, knowledge that's normal, that this might actually be more of a miraculous kind of knowledge or miraculous kind of wisdom or miraculous kind of faith that would be recognizable by other people. I, I really think that, that in this list, the ones that he's mentioning are ones that everybody in this unhealthy, immature church are striving after. And they want these things simply because they believe if they have these things, they will be seen as, viewed as more spiritual among the church. So, what's interesting is he gives those, those gifts, and then later on he kind of comes back to, see, I've given people first apostles, secondarily prophets, teachers, after that miracles. So he goes on. What's interesting about that though is, I don't think any of us, and the vast majority of Christians, would say, yeah, okay, there's no such thing as apostolic succession. So we don't expect to see any new apostles that will have seen Christ, been with Christ, and then now have some new revelation from Christ that that Christ is now going to build the truth of the church on, on them. Right? So we've already determined that... If there's not apostolic succession, then some things that he's given in this list have ceased. Right? Some things were given for a time, for a foundational period, but are not necessary to continue. Um, there is one man, I can't remember who it was, but they um, I read an article by him, and it was really interesting because he made the point that, okay, if apostles have ceased, then why would we assume that prophets are continuing? And the, the teacher part is a little bit more difficult because we do think that there are still people that teach, but he would say that this is more like a, a, a supernatural type of teaching, um, new revelation or, or new doctrine that, that um, they're working out some of the things that the, maybe the prophets and the apostles have, have said. Um, miracles, gifts of healing, um, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. He, he, he tried to make the argument that because the apostles have ceased, we should assume that everything else in that list has ceased as well. Okay? Okay. Now, I'm not going to make a rock-solid case for um, cessationalism today, and I'm not going to make a rock-solid case. I'm certainly not going to make a case for continuationalism. But what I want to do today is I want us just to look at uh, how this text is laid out and what Paul has given us and what he's given us elsewhere in Scripture so that we can make an informed understanding, an informed decision on spiritual gifts. All right? So the third thing I recognize— in this text, is that the gifts are given to every man according to the Spirit's will. Gifts are given to every man. I don't think here Paul is saying that men get gifts and women don't. I, I think this is a general, neutral idea of all believers are given spiritual gifts. It's not just John Calvin or John Wesley or John Knox or John, John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, I know. But John MacArthur, John Piper, John Shields. <laughs> it's, it's not just some of these guys that we look at either in history, who did incredible things in the past and wrote incredible things in the past, or men that are alive today, who are very well known, that, that clearly have certain spiritual gifts. It's not that God has gifted just the leadership of the church. It's not that God has gifted just that one lady or that or that one guy who you find very encouraging. It's that the gifts are given to every man, every believer. The spirit's not giving going eeny meeny miny mo okay, yeah, you get a gift. Okay, now eeny, meeny miny okay, you get you get one too. He's giving gifts to every man. That means if you are a believer in Christ, if you have the spirit inside of you, You have a spiritual gift. He's given you a spiritual gift. Every man. Um, There is a show that my kids have watched. And in it, there are, um, I think it's called like Lego Ninjas or something. Miles? Lego Ninjas, right? Okay, so the, the Lego Ninjas, there's like five good guys, I think. And each one of them has a different ability. And so you have people who, I don't know, can control ice and maybe somebody else that can control fire. But then you get to the fifth guy and the fifth guy can do everything that everybody else can. And when I heard that, I thought if I was like the ice guy and now there's somebody that can do that and everything else, I'd feel like, what do I have ice for? You don't need me. This guy doesn't need, this guy can do everything. And sometimes I think that's the way the church thinks. is like you have these people who are, they have everything and they can do it all. And so my gift really isn't that important, right? And that's just a really wrong way to look at it. Because first of all, there isn't anyone who has all the gifts. If you were to be in a a church with John MacArthur and there were 10 people in your church, then John MacArthur would need the spiritual gifts working in the lives of other people to mature him in Christ, just like they would need his gifts to mature them in Christ. Does that make sense? So, we all need each other. Nobody is an island, nobody is by himself, and nobody has arrived, and nobody has it all. We all need each other, and that's that's the point that's being made. It's every gift, or every man receives gifts, and it's according to the Spirit's will. It's according to God's will. It's not what you want. It's not what you've determined is good for you. And I think understanding that should be um, it should be incredibly, maybe convicting to us. It's convicting to me because when I think about spiritual gifts, there are times I go, "I wish I had more of John Piper or John MacArthur or Pastor Dressler." Um, or you know, you, you can find people. I, I, I guess I, I just put you with those three, those two. So I that's. Love that. Yeah, <laughs> you would. <laughs> um, so, but what, what I'm saying is, I think sometimes we look at other people. The truth is, I look at some other folks in this room, and I know how encouraging they are. I with. Was, was, I was just naturally encouraging like that person is. But the Spirit is giving gifts to every man according to the Spirit's will. And as soon as I say... It would be better for me to have that gift. I've just said, God, you made a bad decision in what you gave to me. That, that your will for me, the, the Spirit's will for my life, and the gift that I've been given is not the one I should have. You made a bad decision. You made, I mean, and I want something else. I really think that you should give me something else. This gift isn't important. It's not helpful. What we're really saying is, this gift doesn't draw enough attention to me. This gift doesn't, doesn't provide me a spotlight, and I really want a spotlight. That's problematic. And so, 1 Corinthians 12 makes it abundantly clear, first of all, that we should not diminish our own gift. In 1 Corinthians twelve fifteen, it says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And he goes on, he gives more examples. But the, the point is, would it be would it be okay for a foot who, like, okay, a foot is smelly and it's dirty and it walks on the ground and that's basically all it does. I mean, would, okay, if the foot said, you know what, I don't even think I'm worthy to be a part of the body anymore. How foolish would that be for a foot to say? If, if you're wishing away your gifts for other gifts, um, you're wishing away the Spirit's conscious decision to give you that gift and not another. And you are a part of the body, and you're an important part of the body. You're needed. In fact, he goes on, and he talks about the uncomely parts. And I think he spends a lot of time on that, and there's some confusing verses in there. But I think he spends a lot of time on that, simply because um, he's trying to make that point abundantly clear. That, And I think it's written maybe for those who feel as though they have uncomely gifts. Ha- have gifts that are less flashy, less beautiful. And he's saying your gifts, you have more abundant honor. You're more important. And I, I think of the body, and I think of um, a lot of the, the parts of the body that are hidden. Like, when we think of, okay, what's, what's our most important parts of your body? You might say, I, I hate to lose my hand. That'd be terrible. I hate to lose my foot, because then I, you know, I couldn't walk. It'd be, like, there's a lot of things we don't want to lose, but you probably don't f- first think, like, I don't want to lose my liver, right? Or I, really, my kidney. I'm just really attached to my kidneys. They're so important to me. You wouldn't you wouldn't think of those things first, um, and yet you take those things out, you're in more trouble than if you take out the hand, right? And so those parts that are unseen that maybe don't do the I was going to digestive system. I mean, you start you start thinking about parts that do dirty work, work, and those parts are important. They're neat necessary, absolutely necessary. And so don't ever diminish your own gift. Um, In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it pleased Him. As God was pleased, He put you in the body. And He put you there for a purpose. So, the second thing I think we learn from this is that we should not diminish the gifts of others. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, The eye cannot say unto the hand... I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I know I have no need of you. Okay? So it, it's, first of all, recognizing, and I think a lot of people have this problem, that, man, your gifts are important. So recognize that, that your gifts are needed in the church. But it doesn't stop there. If you're someone who you think you have a flashy gift, don't ever think that you don't need something else. You do. We all need one another's gifts. We all need one another um, to be... Built and matured into the Christians God wants us to be. So do not diminish the gifts of others. Um, The fourth thing that I see in this text um, the third was the gifts are given to every man according to the Spirit's will. The fourth is that the gifts are being mentioned to make a point. And the point is that every part of the body is important, all gifts are necessary, Um, all people are necessary. 1 Corinthians 12, says, Nay, much more. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. word necessary is... Um, I, I knew how to say this last night. I don't know how to say it now. Enang chaos. And it's needful or helpful. Okay, they're needful and helpful. When Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, he, he said that my preference, I would rather depart. I'd rather go be with the Lord. But it is needful. It is necessary for me to be here with you. Now you think of the work that Paul was doing in the church of Philippi, like how much he was building up that church and how needful that it was for Paul to be there and to be building that church up and helping them. And now it's saying here with the same word that all of the gifts, all parts of the body are necessary, are needful. It's pretty necessary. It's pretty important it sounds like. Um, center stage in Paul's mind here in 1 Corinthians 12 is not the list. And, and unfortunately, we go to this chapter and we go straight to the list and we go, okay, do I have this one? Do I have this one? Who has, who has, okay, or, or maybe we go and say, um, listen, you cessationalists. It says right here that, that these are the gifts that are still in action. And then we'll, we'll go somewhere else and we'll pull up gifts from another place and say, no, no, these are the ones that are in action. And we, we tend to fight about these things and we proof text. But Paul's point here is not the list. His point is the analogy of the church as a body and the truth that every church member is a valuable, um, has a valuable contribution to make in the building up of the church. The problem that he saw is that spiritual gifts were being abused, misused, and undervalued. And no spiritual gift should ever be undervalued, especially not the one that he has given you. We undervalue our gifts when we do not put them to use. Now you might say, you know what, I've never really thought that way. I never really looked at my life and my gift and thought, Spirit, I wish you'd give me something else. You know, I wish I was more like this person. I've been pretty content with my gift. Maybe you've undervalued your gift by not using it. Because if you're not putting your gift to use, you're saying, either I'm not needed to build up the church, or I don't care if the church is built up. Right? Those are the only two options if you're not putting your spiritual gift to use, is you don't care whether the church is built up. You know that you're needed, but you don't care. Or you really don't think you're needed. And so you're undervaluing your spiritual gift if you're not putting your gift to use. Imagine if tomorrow, Pastor Dressler, or today, this morning, Pastor Dressler announced that he no longer thought that um, his preaching was helpful, that it was necessary. Um, He just decided that from this point on, he would not preach. He would still come to the church. He'd still be a part of the church. But but he wouldn't be using his gift of preaching because he just really didn't think it was important. How many people would have a, a problem with that? How many people would say that, that, that likely... Half of them didn't. Half, no, no, I know. I, I'm actually, I'm surprised that so many thought <laughs> it would be a problem. Okay, so there's some people that will never raise their hand for anything, right? That's, we get that. Um, so, but how, how many people would say, no, pastor's gift, the, the, the spiritual gifts that God has given pastor, that um, those gifts contribute to building up the church? Yes? Yes. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is if you are not putting your gift to use, then you're saying exactly the same thing as pastor would be saying if he said, I don't think my gifts are of any use, that they're not building up church, right? Well, we'd all say that we think they are, but some of us have a much easier time undervaluing ourselves and then looking at other people and saying, no, but they're important. And that's just the, the, the idea that Paul is trying to contradict. He's trying to counteract that thought. And so, let's change our thinking. Number five, the passage emphasizes the value of cohesion of purpose and the priority of love more than it does the spiritual gifts themselves. So, when I look at this passage, I see that the, the idea that the church is one body that we're all different parts, but that there's one Lord and one God who's giving these for the, for this one purpose, that there's supposed to be this cohesion of purpose, this unity of purpose in the church. I feel like that's what's really being emphasized in this passage and we're going to find out in 1 Corinthians 13 that the more excellent way he mentioned at the end of chapter 12 is love. That all of those gifts without love working, love between believers, right? We often think of 1 Corinthians 13 as this, the chapter of love that you read at weddings. It's not. I mean, great, read it at weddings, that's fine. But it's a chapter that's meant for the church. And it's meant to actually help us understand how to use our spiritual gifts properly, in love, not drawing attention to ourselves, not being envious of another person, like that that we're supposed to be loving each other enough to use our gifts to build one another up without them being all about us. And so this passage is emphasizing the value of cohesion of purpose, the priority of love more than it does the spiritual gifts themselves. And I'll show you in first Corinthians twelve, verse seven, he says, But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit withal. So the Spirit's gifts are for everyone. to profit the whole body. Chapter 12, verse 24 says, But God has tempered the body together. In verse 25 it says that there should be no schism in the body, no disunity, no break, but that the members should have care for each other. And when another member suffers, all the members suffer with it, or another be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. What a privilege to be called the body of Christ. Isn't it? I mean, we think of the glory of Christ. We think of how, like, He, Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who who loves perfectly, who has perfect grace and perfect justice and perfect holiness and and, and all of those things, and now we're attached to him? We're his body, we're his hands and his feet, and, like, that's a, what an honor already that is. Why don't we take this idea more seriously and then recognize that our part in it is very serious as well. So that we're pursuing using our spiritual gifts among one another. He finishes in in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, But covet covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I will show you a more excellent way. And and really, this is a a verse that, in some sense, I (laughs) feel like it'd be better if it wasn't there. Um, Because he says, Covet more earnestly spiritual gifts. And I think, it seems to me like they're already coveting gifts. Why are you telling me to covet gifts more, but what what Paul is trying to do in all of this is he's trying to redirect their thinking, reorient how they think about spiritual gifts. Right? They're not for you. They're given by God. Everyone is important, so recognize yours is important. You're all going for one purpose, one goal. They're to ultimately t- for the glory of Christ. Um, love is essential in all of this, so you reorient thinking. But then you say, "But go for gifts. They're still good." You like. I'm not trying to dissuade you from exercising or, or practicing spiritual gifts. He's pushing us toward that. So, the question that is first in my mind as I study all the things that 1 Corinthians 12 says is, are the miraculous gifts of the Spirit still in effect today? As we go through all of this and we, we recognize what we're supposed to be doing, no matter what, we. I mean, I wish I could just period, and then not really deal with that question. But we we have to deal with that question because it really, it's the one that it's going to come up in your mind. Those gifts of healing and miracles and wisdom and knowledge and prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues, are, are those gifts still relevant, necessary, helpful in the church today? But we're out of time today. So we will start answering that question next week. And we'll probably get over to Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 soon as well. Thank you, everyone.